0: Jerusalem was crowded with pilgrims who'd come for the Passover. And in the midst of that, in our passage today, Jesus reaches the point of no return. he had spent three years travelling throughout the towns, the villages and countryside of Palestine, living out the fulfilment of prophecies given hundreds of years before. And as he travelled and preached, as he travelled, he preached about the kingdom of God. And on different occasions, he healed the sick, he enabled blind to see, he casted out demons from people, miraculously fed thousands of people on several occasions who'd come to hear him teach about the kingdom. He was making a difference. And as he made the difference, he was upsetting the religious order of the day. But now the time has come to complete, to fulfil his purpose for coming to earth to live among people. As he travelled towards Jerusalem with his disciples, he warned them that he would soon be put to death and after three days he would rise again. He is now approaching Jerusalem riding on the colt of a donkey, and he was welcomed with cheering as the coming Messiah. The die is cast, and he has committed himself to going to the cross. The religious leaders who have been opposing Jesus throughout his ministry have been gathering together, wondering how they might kill him. People in Jerusalem, on the other hand, were wondering whether Jesus the Messiah would make his move and oust the Romans. There was, there was unparalleled tension in Jerusalem. Not even the oldest people had seen anything like it. Wherever you went, in the marketplace, in the doorways, on the corner, in the temple, everyone was talking about it. There was a buzz about Jerusalem. Is Jesus the Messiah? Has he come to conquer the Romans and claim the crown of the Messiah? They were waiting to see what would happen. The Passover was only a few days away. Would Jesus make a move? If so, when? What would the authorities do if he did? Here he stands before the city as a king, having been welcomed by throngs of ordinary villagers from the outskirts of Jerusalem. Yet in a matter of days, he'll be crucified by his rebel subjects who are upset about him disturbing their comfy religious way of life. As the pressure mounted, the Lord took a definite, calculated, premeditated action. Action that would show us three things. It would show us Jesus' character. It would show us Jesus' power and how that power produces his character. In us. Firstly, the character of Jesus. Here in Mark chapter 11, as Jesus rides into Jerusalem, he is hailed as a king. They lay down their cloaks in front of him. But Jesus does something that just doesn't fit. Normally kings would ride in on a powerful war horse. But Jesus, who was riding in as a king, chose a donkey colt to ride into Jerusalem. In doing this, he was showing humility, not making the expected power statement of a king. So here you have a proven king with miraculous power, but he comes on a young donkey. This might be Jesus' no turning back. The die is cast. But you are meant to see that this is no moment. This is a moment like no other for in jesus you have majesty coming as a king and yet meekness riding on a donkey in the one person you have power and yet you have weakness you are meant to see that jesus is the king of zechariah 9:9 the verse we started with today you are meant to see that jesus is the king A king who does not fit into the world's categories. He has the strength and majesty of a lion and the meekness and patience of a lamb. Infinite highness and yet infinite accessibility. Infinite justice and infinite grace. Infinite glory yet infinite humility. Infinite majesty and infinite meekness. Absolute sovereignty, yet perfect submission. A lion and a lamb. And isn't it in these die-cast moments in life that we see the true character of a person? So firstly, we have the amazing character of Jesus. Meekness and majesty in one person. Secondly, we see the power of Jesus. In verse 15, we're told Jesus entered the area of the temple courts. The temple in Jerusalem was a massive complex. When you walked into the temple, the first area you came to was the court of the Gentiles. It was the only place a Gentile, a person who was not a Jew, could go. And yet it was the place where the business operations were set up. And when Jesus walked in, he would have seen thousands of people buying and selling animals, hundreds of foreign money changers. In fact, the historian Josephus tells us that in one Passover week, one year, 255,000 lambs were bought and sold and sacrificed in the temple. Imagine that. Even the louder share market trading floor has nothing on this. And then throw in stock, uh, stockyards or livestock market. It's a cross between Wall Street and a huge sale yard complex with animals bleating or bellowing, truckies clanging gates and people shouting. And Jesus walks into this area of the temple, a place where the Gentiles were supposed to find God through quiet reflection and prayer. And yet it resembles this noisy stockyard we talked about. No wonder Jesus starts throwing the furniture over and throwing the stock out of the temple. You can imagine the leaders of the temple coming over to Jesus and saying, Jesus, what's going on? Why are you doing this? Jesus says in verse 17, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations For all the Gentiles. And we're told in verse 18 that this absolutely shocked his listeners. Why? Because it was popularly believed that when the Messiah showed up, he would clear the temple of the Gentiles. But rather than clear the place of the Gentiles, Jesus announces this temple will be a house of prayer for all people. For the Gentiles
1: and for people
0: right across the world. That means for you and I. Jesus is being an advocate for the Gentiles, startling actions for those who expected contrary actions. But what Jesus is doing is far more radical than that. For Jesus is throwing out all of the animals that were being sold as a part of the sacrifices in Passover week. Jesus is throwing out the sacrificial system altogether. Jesus was saying to the Gentiles, You can go directly to God in prayer. You can have direct access into the presence of God. You don't have to make animal sacrifices. And this shocks the whole system. But the shock of it is lost on us because we don't know the history of the temple. As Tim Keller tells us, the history of the temple begins in the Garden of Eden at the start of the Bible in Genesis 1. Because the garden was a sanctuary with absolute shalom, absolute flourishing, total fulfilment, a place of joy, a place of bliss. But this paradise was lost when we centred our lives on other things to give us meaning and significance other than God. And when Adam and Eve left the sanctuary, they turned around and saw the door of paradise. Saw at the door of paradise. A flaming sword flashing back and forth. A flaming sword that no one could get under, barring our way back into the presence of God, into paradise. Because we built our lives on other things, on power, on status, acclaim, family, race, It's never enough to say, sorry, may I please get back into the presence of God. Something else is required. A costly payment has to be made to put things right between us and God. No one can get back into the presence of God unless they go under the sword and pay for the wrong they have done. But who could survive that sword? No one. So how would anyone get back into the presence of God? How would they get past that sword? And as you read through the Old Testament over and over again, the prophets spoke of a day coming when the glory of God would be across the face of the earth as the waters covered the sea. They spoke of a day when we would be in the presence of God. But how could that be if we were cut off from him? The book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 8, says of the Messiah, By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. It speaks of Jesus and that he will be cut off from the land of the living. In the book of Revelation, the apostle John looks at the throne. The place of ultimate power in the universe, and he sees a slaughtered lamb. The greatest image of weakness and vulnerability possible. Why is that? Because Jesus took the sword for you and me. And that is why, at the end of chapter 15 of the book of Mark, the moment Jesus dies, the veil that covered the Holy of Holies was ripped from top to bottom. The temple wasn't just ruined the temple was made obsolete. As Jesus comes into the temple, he is rendering the temple and the sacrificial system of the Old Testament obsolete. Ultimately, by taking the punishment, being killed on the cross for you and me. So we've seen the character of Jesus. We've seen the power of Jesus Christ. And someday he's going to bring his power and his presence back into the whole world And renew everything. But how is his character reproduced in us by his power? In the middle of our passage, we have an incident that we wonder about. Why did Jesus give the fig tree a hard time? On the surface, it looks very bad for Jesus. It looks as though he's being harsh to the fig tree. Now when you read this, you need to see that he's not giving the fig tree a hard time, but that Jesus is really challenging us. And if you can understand it, and you can understand it if you realise that Middle Eastern fig trees bore two kinds of fruit. As the leaves were coming out in spring before the figs came, the branches bore these little nodules, and travellers like to pick these nodules and eat them. So... When Jesus sees a fig tree in leaf and walked over to it, if he found a tree that had begun to sprout leaves but had no nodules, he would know there was something wrong, as he found in this case. The tree might have looked okay because it had leaves, but it didn't have nodules. And so the tree was diseased or dying inside. Growth without fruit is a sign of decay. So Jesus is simply pronouncing that this is the case here. Now notice when this incident happens. It happens between Jesus going to the temple and returning to the temple the next day. What is going on is simple. Jesus is giving you a parable against hollow religiosity. Jesus is about to walk into the temple a place that's very busy. So many things to do. Tasks, committee, noise, transactions, people coming and people going. But the busyness had no spirituality there. Nobody was praying. Jesus is saying, I want more than religious activity. He's saying, if I have brought the presence of God into your life, if through me you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit, I want more than just activity and busyness. The challenge to all of us is, is our life bearing fruit? Are you changing in your character? If you're an angry person, is it clear to people who know you that you've overcome that? If you're a fearful person, is it clear to people who know you that you've overcome that? If you're self-centered or self Hating or self aggrandizing is it clear to people who know you that you are overcoming these things? Or are you just busy with religiosity? He wants you involved, but don't miss the forest for the trees. An important question is, are you having the life of Jesus reproduced in you? Maya Briggs and similar questionnaires analyse our personalities. There are introverts and there are extroverts. There are thinkers and feelers. There's decisive people and process people. There's bold people and humble people. There's powerful and there's vulnerable people. We're disposed to one set of traits rather than the balance of traits. For example, some of us are more prone to self-righteousness than others because we're living a gospel of self-righteousness. And as a result, we're constantly thinking that we're better than others. When you see someone failing, you think, come on, just grin and bear it. Come back when you've got your act together. So you might be bold, but you're not vulnerable and you're certainly not humble. We struggle with a sense of balance in our character. And that's understandable because our characters will never be completely renewed in the image of Christ until the very end of time. But do you recognise the unique kind of character that Jesus can produce in us? Do you see that he can produce in us a character that is rounded and well balanced? Do you see that such a character can be produced in our lives because of the gospel? And what if you know that you are radically loved because of what Jesus has done for you in spite of your flaws? What if your relationship to God is not completely dependent on your record, but on Jesus' record. Not on your past, but on what Jesus accomplished. What if you knew that he was glad to die for you? You see, Jesus never made a mistake. Why? Because of his boldness and humility. Because of his introversion and extroversion because of his vulnerable kingliness, because of his strong weakness. He always was what he needed to be in every situation. And that is what you see here in Mark 11. He is both kingly and yet humble. We are not always what we need to be in every situation. But as his Holy Spirit works in our lives and renews our character, more and more in the image of Jesus Christ. So we will become the sort of person who is able to move backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards between boldness and humility, introversion and extroversion, strength and weakness. And slowly we will become what we need to be in every situation, although it will be a struggle. While we are not what we should be and we are not always what we can be, yet by the power of God working in our lives, we can see these changes happening. Do you see them happening? Are those changes happening in your life? Do your best friends notice them? If not, what should you do? There are two possibilities. One is to think you understand the gospel, but you don't. Or maybe you're not getting the gospel of Jesus Christ at all. When Jesus goes into the temple and says, this is my house, he is demanding a response. You're either going to have to accept him and you're going to, or you're going to have to reject him. But the one thing you cannot just say is, what an interesting man. Jesus is saying you can't relate to him on the periphery of your life. You can't, as it were, leave him in the suburbs without bringing him into the city. You can't just want to talk to him when you have a problem. It's about centering your life on him. And you might say, I'm scared. Don't be, because you can go to him as a lamb and he will defend you. Like a lion. He will defend you to your own conscience. He will defend you to the world. He will defend you to hell. Don't be afraid of him. Give yourself to him. And his power will produce his character in you. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, to earth. Here's a king who does not fit into the world's categories. A king with the strength and the majesty of a lion and yet the meekness and patience of a lamb. Infinite highness, infinite accessibility. Infinite justice and infinite grace. Infinite glory and infinite humility. Infinite majesty and infinite meekness. Absolute sovereignty, yet perfect submission. We thank you that you sent him to open the way so we may be restored to fellowship with you. Help us to understand what he accomplished for us this coming Easter and learn to walk in ever closer fellowship with him and live our lives looking forward to spending eternity with you. For we ask it in Jesus' name with thankfulness on our hearts. Amen.